0: Well Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Red Letter Disciple podcast, and my name is Zach Zender, and in a couple of minutes, I'm going to be joined by my co-host and friend, Pastor Chris Johnson. We desire that this podcast would challenge you, uh, would help you become a greater follower of Jesus, because we believe that when like we all do this together, we will unleash a fuller, greater, and truer expression of Jesus in this world. And when anyone sees the real, true Jesus, man, their life is gonna be changed. And so uh, I'm so happy that you're here. I think you're gonna have a lot of laughs and fun along the way. We try to keep this fun as well. Season one, it continues to roll on. Uh, Let's see, Matt M116 said, deep, important content delivered in a fun and personal way. We really appreciate your five-star review and the love, Matt, that means a lot to us. If you haven't yet, and this podcast is a blessing to you or you think it could be to somebody else, would you give us a five-star review on your favorite streaming platform? You can find out what platforms we're on. You can access our show notes for today's episode. You can listen to all the past episodes at redletterpodcast.com. On the show today, we've got my friend, Josh Doetzler. Josh is a former college basketball player at Creighton University in the great city of Omaha, Nebraska. And Josh has become an inner city path pastor and now is leading an amazing nonprofit called abide ministries and so we had such a good time talking to josh about everything from from what it takes to raise kids in the inner city today why he intentionally chooses to stay in the inner city and i think this is so important what the black community needs most from the white community when it comes to racial reconciliation it's a timely message it's going to be awesome Speaking of awesome, how about this? Our friends, our season one partner, The Giving Church, uh, we're going to be having a free webinar that's right on August 11th at 1 p.m. Central. Mark your calendars. I'll be, I'll be leading Phil Ling, the president and founder of The Giving Church, in a webinar called Fund Your Vision. Don't let money limit your ministry. And so I'm excited that if, man, if you've been stuck by finances at all or if you have a kingdom vision, kingdom dream that you want to see come to fruition Uh, It's going to be an awesome opportunity to hear from a really talented man, Phil, who has not only decades of experience leading the Giving Church, they've helped get this, a thousand churches raise a billion dollars to fund Kingdom Visions. But also Phil and his team at the Giving Church, they've commissioned a study with more than 4,000 churches that uncovered some really amazing data when it comes to generosity and giving, especially in the church. And so I'm going to be able to talk to him about his expertise in the field and also the data from that study. It's going to be incredible. You're going to want to be there. So that's a free webinar, Fund Your Vision, August 11th at 1 p.m. You can find out more information about that at their website, thegivingchurch.com slash red. Again, that's thegivingchurch.com slash red. You can get all the details on that webinar, and we're going to give loads of free stuff away at the webinar but you can already grab a free pdf at their their site five ways to grow your church's giving thegivingchurch.com slash red i hope you join us but it's time now for episode nine let's do this Ladies and gentlemen, we got an incredible episode today. We have uh, one of my friends here, and his friend is in Omaha, the great city of Omaha, Nebraska. His name is Josh Dodzler. Josh is a spiritual leader, justice advocate, communicator, CEO of an incredible nonprofit called Abide. We'll talk about that, uh, which is focused on revitalizing the inner city of Omaha, one neighbor at a time. Let's go. Yeah, come on. Josh is a speaker. <laughs> Josh is a leader. Josh is a CEO. He's an author. Mm-hmm. He's a husband. He's a father of not one, not two, not three, four kids. Come on. Welcome to the podcast, Josh.
1: Come on. Gosh. Man, it's good to be here, guys. I will say this, Zach, Chris. I wish I could have a hype man with me wherever I go. I'm, yeah. He's Let's available, go, baby. He's I'm available. He's
0: available. I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm here, dude. Yeah. I'm right here. Yeah. Yeah. So I love it. So, uh, hey, man. All those titles, like, geez, influencer, speaker, author, CEO, husband, father, four kids. Like, how do you do it all, man? What? Yeah, what's the answer? Are you doing okay? Yeah. Hey,
1: I I heard the more titles you add, the better it makes you sound. And it makes you sound like you're doing a lot more than you
0: actually are. (laughs) So are you like influencer Monday, speaker Tuesday, author Wednesday, and husband, father Thursday, Friday? I, I told my kids to give me...
1: All the words that I wish I was, and they just started throwing those out. And so then there you go, you put them in a book, and you yeah. send them as your bio. And then before you know it, and I I mean, I will say this: I think the combination of you yeah. know, we have four kids, my wife and I. We've been married for almost 15 years this oh, year. Yeah, that's and awesome. So I know I look really young. Yeah, yeah. I don't have my hair, but I look young. Yeah, yeah. But over the course of you know, we've been in 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 ministry full time for uh over almost 13 years and over the course of time god has you in different seasons different places and so uh yeah. we dabble a lot and do a lot of different things <laughs> yeah. um but but i think just over time man you just you're in a lot of different things and circles and and hopefully yeah. having some hopefully having some impact in some way in some of those circles
0: I love it, man. And I think when we've talked, like I've always, I feel like you and I are wired similar ways. And I think it's just yeah. somewhat of personality that if we're stuck in, in one box for so long, it's like, ah, I got to get out of here and mm-hmm. get <laughs> yes. a new box. And right. so I, I love it, dude. So tell me a, a little bit. I, I'd love our audience to hear your story. I, I think the power of story and testimony is so mm-hmm. incredible and in kind of shaping who we are and how mm-hmm. we got to where we are. Yeah. I mean, so tell me a, a bit of like what your story is. And so anything of the past that's kind of helped, helped you be to where you are today.
1: Yeah. I, I would say the the short version of it or the condensed version, uh, you know, my, my dad quit his job as a chemical engineer, moved our family from the suburbs to the inner city when I was two years old. Wow. And so grew up in this inner city context. He started our nonprofit called abide. And my dad's a white guy from Iowa. You know, I always Wisconsin's love to ask Johnson's a white guy from Iowa. I was just gonna say there's gotta be a white guy from Iowa on this podcast. Listen I
0: don't, having been with him for a lot of episodes, I don't know that there has to be one. <laughs> just going on record saying that. If,
1: anyway. if you are from Iowa though, I mean people claim that hard. Mm. And, uh so just a little R backstory, my dad's from Iowa. Uh, population 300. He's white. My mom's African American from mm-hmm. Washington, DC. We move into this neighborhood, crime, violence, poverty, growing up in that neighborhood and that, in that community. I, I always tell people, I loved what my parents were doing, Yeah, but I did not want to be a part of it. Our yeah. neighbors were murdered. House was shot at. Stuff was stolen. And so yeah. the <laughs> I can't take Chris seriously. Wait man.
2: a second. In Iowa, this happened?
1: No, this happened in Omaha when, when my parents started our nonprofit. Oh,
2: okay. My bad. My bad. My bad. It's was like, there's never crime in Iowa. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> but my dad coming from Iowa, rural Iowa, having these experiences really, I would say changed and, and shifted his paradigm and perspective. Yeah. And it's what led to starting our nonprofit. And so I grew up in that context. Okay. Wanted to do everything I could to get out, uh, Thought basketball was my ticket out. Had some success in high school and went on to uh, the great university, Creighton University. Go Blue, yeah, go Jays. Blue Jays! Blue Jays, Jays baby! Jays. Jays. And uh, that's why I'm having a hard time looking at your red jacket. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, but went got a scholarship to play basketball there. I was a sophomore when I got a scholarship freshman year. Six games left to go my freshman season after starting almost every game. I tear my PCL. Oh, man. And for me, that was a, that, that was a turning point. Yeah. And uh, God started to show me, man, Josh, there's more to life than just basketball. And, and you know, I want to use you in some different ways. And so fully, I would say that's when I fully surrendered my life to Christ. Got married to my wife a year later. We were married for two years in college. And basically, as we were getting out, we said, God, whatever door you open up, that's what door will walk through as long as... As you don't send us back to North Omaha, where we were from. Yeah. And uh, just the way God works, you know, use some different experiences, but ended up bringing us back. And uh, we thought it would be a short term kind of situation. And uh, almost, you know, 13 years later. Wow. We're still here. Wow. So I think
0: sometimes in our prayers, God may tune out for a few words. So, I mean, anywhere you want, He tunes out for as long as. And the last things He hears is inner city, North Omaha. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: That's found that you know. to be true more times than uh, not.
0: I think a lot of people's stories have that. So, I, I want to, I think it's interesting because I think there's a lot of people that, that are listening that either right now or have in their past been through that season or that moment where it feels like their life is going this trajectory. Yeah. Everything is, we're planning this. Our, our major is about this. Our, our extracurriculars are all pointing to this. Like Mm -hmm. we've got, we've got the plan, right? And that's you with basketball. Yep. So I want to enter into the moment of it. For some people, I think it's all of a sudden overnight for others. I think it's maybe a season, but what is it like to be in that, whether it's overnight or in that season, where you are feeling God doing something different. Yeah.
1: I, I, I mean, I would say in in general, it's easier for me to see it in somebody else and recognize that than it is as we're going through it. Yeah. Mm. You know, I, I would say going through it, man, it's painful. It's, it's yeah. there's a sense of like, God, do you hear me? Cause this is where I feel like we need to go. This is what we want. But we're going through this season of pain, and so there's like this disorientation. There's this questioning. I think of God. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, and so you get through it. You look back, and it's like, oh, that's what God was doing. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. what God was building in us and preparing us for. And oh, yeah. I, I tell people, I used to think that when I finally found my calling in life, life would be smooth. It would be
0: comfortable. Yeah. yeah.
1: And and what I found is. God doesn't say anything about living a comfortable life. And especially when it comes to living out your calling, He mm. never says it's going to be comfortable. He's never mm. never says it's going to be easy. And so I think from a a parent that hasn't been the case in my life. Yeah. And and so I'm constantly trying to put myself in the position, man, when life is hard, it's actually when God's doing something. Yeah. And when I'm in pain, it's actually because gods developing some some greater purpose in my life.
2: It was interesting you said that uh one of your prayers was they hey, we want to be ministry. So l- l- rewind a second. You get married at a really young age. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to guess that you're not independently wealthy at this point.
1: <laughs> if you didn't marry me for my money, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'm going to guess
2: that your college experience was like mine, where you go and maybe there's a couple of frozen pizzas and that's going to do it. Like, that is a challenge to get yeah. married at that age. Um, and now you're at the cusp of, you, 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 were you a walk-on or did you go, how did that happen with basketball at Creighton? You you if, if, if
1: somebody watching me probably thought I was a walk-on, but I was actually there on scholarship. Okay.
2: I, I just – the only reason they clarified that is because yeah. you, said you had a scholarship your sophomore year. That's all. And so yeah, – go ahead.
1: Well, I was going to say so, – so actually coming out of high school, we were pretty successful. We won back-to-back state championships. Nice. Okay. I got offered a, a scholarship to go to Creighton when I was a sophomore in high school. Wow. And I was actually getting recruited by Creighton, Kansas, Nebraska – and then over the course of the next couple of years, schools like Michigan State, Gonzaga, some of these larger schools started yeah. to come knocking. I had already committed to Creighton. Uh, and, and so I think to your point, you know, when I got hurt my freshman year, I actually, as a freshman, I was playing more minutes than guys who have played in the NBA over the last handful of years. Wow. And so I was having a lot of success on the basketball court. And, and that's why, again, I really felt like basketball was my ticket yeah. you know, out of North Omaha and even, I'm going to tell you what, out of Omaha. yeah, <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to move away, go somewhere else. I thought I would either play professionally in the NBA or like a lot of my friends play professionally overseas, right. travel around, have different experiences. And so that's kind of what I was preparing for. And I got hurt. God got my attention. Mm-hmm. And, and part of what God did, my wife and I met freshman year. And we were, we were trying to pursue God, but I'm telling you as college kids and pursuing God and being in relationship, we felt like, I felt like God was calling us to get married. Yeah. Now with that, I knew what my coaches would say. Mm. I knew what the players on my team. I mean, I already knew my coaches were thinking, man, you're distracted. Your, <laughs> your, your priority's not basketball anymore. I had a coach, I had a coach coach me and say, Hey Josh, you need to be with as many girls as possible up until you're 30 Mm. and then decide, you know, if you want to get married, but all these coaches, I would say most of them didn't have great marriages and and their paradigm. One coach literally asked me, he said, is it your, is it your religion that's causing you to get married? And, and the truth was it was, God was doing something in me. And I'll say this, neither one, my wife or myself, we didn't want to get married. Like that wasn't on our radar. That wasn't on our plans. Mm. We were 20, you know, 19 when we met, we got married at 21. Wow. Looking back, I feel like it was our first significant act of obedience where it wasn't about how we felt, but it was about being obedient to God. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, following that, whether it's coming back and being a part of a bite or other things, obedience I think is what God has constantly called us to. Yeah. Now I will say this: we've been obedient, kicking and screaming <laughs> <laughs> in some ways, and, uh, and and learning to be obedient with the right heart, with the right posture. But I feel like that was the starting point of saying, "Man, God, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't even feel good." I'm telling you, it was kind of awkward. I remember <laughs> telling my one of my good friends on the basketball team that my that Jen and I got married or engaged. And I remember it was so awkward, like they just couldn't understand why I would even consider getting married in the position that we were, that we were in. I, I
2: I had a kid, um, I, I'm a youth pastor and I had a kid who got married at 19 and he's a great Christian young man. And he went on to Twitter the other day and he goes, why is it so crazy for a Christian 19 year old to get married, but it's not crazy to be in 30 different relationships. And that's acceptable. Wow. That is good, boy. That's
1: (laughs) That's so good. And in Christian circles and schools, like I know young people getting married, little young, it's a little more normalized. Sure. But when you're not in that context, man, you feel like a fish out of water. Totally. You, 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 You feel a little weird.
0: Yeah, man. And and I think let's embrace that as disciples, right? This is about discipleship. Let's embrace the fact that we are in this world and we're not always going to fit in. And by, by the... When with times we don't fit in, uh, that just might be God working in a big way to yeah. shine light and yes. to show people. There is another way. Josh, you and I are also similar because I also had a childhood dream of uh, being a basketball star. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had yeah. to mine up in seventh, eighth grade when well, I was the second littlest white. boy. Lucky for spot. you. And, lucky yeah. for you. You changed a lot earlier. <laughs>
2: Unlike you, though, Josh, Zach's problem was a lack of uh, just an incredible lack of talent and height. You know, so that was yeah, the then, issue. You know, a,
1: yeah. a lot of times, though, that's a that's a result of our parents. Like he doesn't even have to take credit for that. No, I agree. I do blame
0: my mom and dad <laughs> quite a bit for Mama a lot of so the so in my life. No, I, I grew up in Memphis. And so Penny Hardaway, Memphis mm-hmm. State University, yeah. I wanted to be like Penny. I think he's yeah. still I, I'm curious. This is off the off the cuff. Yeah. I think that the Air Penny shoes are the greatest pair of basketball shoes mm. ever invented. I'd love One to know you. Favorites. What is is it one of your favorites or what right. is your favorite? I
1: would say the pennies are are some of my favorite. I'm a huge Jordan guy. Yeah. So you know the line of Jordans is hard mm. to compare with, but pennies would be right there, right yeah. there
0: with me. And little penny, coolest mascot. Little penny sure. was the man in eighth grade when and I. And played- little penny never got slapped. That's oh <laughs> come on. Come I mean, it's too, soon. Too, <laughs> too soon. This is going to air in a couple. Of in months. eighth
2: grade, when I played basketball at the little school in Iowa, I had um, talked my team into all getting the Reebok pumps. Oh, I was pretty excited yeah. about. We all got the Reebok pumps and then the air bladder broken all of them and everybody was. <laughs> mad.
1: I'm going to guess they didn't help you jump higher or run faster the way you thought they
0: would. Hey, here's Chris can jump out of the room. (laughs) I mean, you wouldn't know it, but yeah. yeah. yeah, So I, uh, one of the cool, uh, yeah, I loved basketball as a kid. And so like, I I was actually a really good shooter. So I'd win free throw contests at this local store. I'd get all the coolest shoes like Mm -hmm. for like three, four years. So I had the pumps, the air Jordans, Mm -hmm. the air pennies. Mm -hmm. I would like to, after the fact one day, maybe we'll do it as a promo video for this episode. I, I don't I I'm, I'm I was never going to make the NBA. I do think I'm really really great and possibly star at arcade basketball. And I'd love oh. to challenge you Josh, to an arcade basketball shoot off. Let's I do it. All this. right. Okay. So I'm gonna say that
1: that that wasn't my greatest asset as a basketball player. I'm
0: gonna take you down.
1: <laughs> but I'm willing to I'm willing to go after it. All
0: right, All right, right. man. It's happening. All right. Oh, so God. Josh, I want to hear. So 13 years now uh, in something. I think that's just how God works of he puts you in the places where I think we naturally know we're supposed to be. And like, God might have us there, but we say we don't. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves there. 13 years in this Abide Network, God is just doing amazing things. So tell us about Abide and like what, what it is that you guys are doing and how you're making a difference.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, Abide here in Omaha is located specifically in what's considered our inner city. And, you know, the genesis of Abide was really my dad's passion mm. to see the potential in the church transform the problems in our world. Yeah, And so it was really it was really this idea of mobilizing God given influences. So our, we would say there's two parts to what we do. There's the mobilization of God given influence, which is partnering with churches and Christians to say, hey, let's be about what we see in Scripture. Let's yeah. use the influence God's given us. We would say two revitalize the inner city, one neighborhood at a time. Yeah. And our work in North Omaha and revitalizing the communities that we serve really started when our family lived in a neighborhood that the police redlined as one of the most violent. Wow. And there was again, shootings and some of the murders I, I talked about and we lived there, we were experiencing it. And uh over the course of time, my dad would mobilize people to come down and do work projects. We took an old abandoned building that was vacant that the police said there were dead bodies in and was the center for crime, violence, drugs. We renovated it, and our family moved into it Wow and and then we started to clean up the neighborhood and and the police tell you where there's a cleaner neighborhood there's a safer neighborhood. We started to throw block parties because in communities uh, like inner city communities, there's so much fear people are afraid they're not connecting. They don't know their neighbors. There's not a sense of community. So we started just throwing fun block parties over the course of a couple years of, I would say, intentionally loving this neighborhood in a practical way and living in this neighborhood. The police came to us and said, this neighborhood that was once redlined as one of the worst neighborhoods is now one of the best in this part of mm. our city. That's mm. amazing. So we started to partner with the police to identify 735 blocks. Wow. Uh, that are in our targeted neighborhoods and we said if we could see it happen in one neighborhood we can see it happen in more and so our strategy is really building safer neighborhoods stronger families raising up emergent leaders who are going to live and stay and be a part of the revitalization
2: well and the thing that i love about this josh is that you didn't like so many times you'll see people like come into uh an underserved neighborhood but they don't live there they move out yeah. And, well, they might have like a bike parade or a, a, a barbecue. Yeah. But like, You guys not only talk the talk like you walk the walk. You were there. That is amazing, man. Yeah.
1: The, the, the saying in communities like North Omaha is work hard, get an education and you too can move out of the ghetto. And so, so much of my own personal story, even while my parents were doing good things was to do everything I could to get out. So in communities like this, anybody who's successful, the dream is to move out. And so you have a void of leaders and people with resources to bring stability and community. And so there's something powerful. The word abide means to stay and dwell. And we've seen the power of presence. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus' presence on earth, mm-hmm. uh, you know, John 15, if you mm-hmm. abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And so something happens when you live in, when you reside in the communities you're impacting. Now I will say this, because it can sound really good, <laughs> But there's a lot of challenge in that. Oh, yeah. And uh, and even, even today, I mean, I think it was, yeah. you know, two days ago at nine o'clock at night, we're putting our kids down for bed and we're laying in our in, in my wife and I go to lay down. And, you know, we hear six gunshots that sounded really close. And they were two blocks away and a neighbor, two blocks away, had bullets go through their front door. And so it's one of those things. It's it's there's that side of it. But it's also that piece of it that says, man, we got to do more. Yeah, It
0: it causes you to rely on God and really
1: invite him to keep showing up. Mm. Man,
0: I love that. So, Josh, you call um, the place you live, and and also there's others that have taken on this challenge, lighthouses, right? Can you talk about that?
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. Uh, a, A lighthouse for us was a result of what my parents were living for 20 years, but we didn't have language for it. And so after seeing what happened when we were living in a neighborhood, we, we said, man, there's something powerful when we don't just refurbish a house physically, but we plant somebody in that home who lives on purpose by loving their neighbors in practical ways. And so a huge part of our strategy is we envision having a lighthouse in every single one of those 735 blocks yeah. where people are intentionally loving their neighbor. And then we're resourcing those individuals you know, through the resources we have on campus, programming. Food, whatever. We have people, volunteers who can come in and serve those neighborhoods. We're helping resource them so they can love their neighbors in practical ways. And it's estimated that crime is is down 70 to 75% wherever we have a lighthouse presence because of the physical beautification, but also just the intentionality
0: of those families living in that community. Wow. That's awesome. Seventy to seventy-five percent. That's incredible. Seven. Yeah, it's amazing. So I, I want to know like how individuals and in churches can, yeah. can be a part of a movement like that where they are, whether it's Omaha or somewhere else, like what, what do you ask? Like, what do you challenge them to do? How can they be more of an answer in solving the problems going on in the crime and, and things like that in the inner cities and, and poverty areas?
1: Yeah. Well, well I'll say this At almost every city, every major city has an inner city. Mm-hmm, yeah. And inner cities, high crime, high violence, high, high poverty, you know, something that over the last couple of years has been highlighted is that the term inner city actually became popularized in 1950, 1949 okay. housing act. It was redlining and, mm-hmm. and well, redlining happened in 1949, 19. 19- 60, 1970, the term inner city became popularized. And so what we see is inner cities were actually a result of decisions to put red lines around communities and not allow communities to have access to resources and, and opportunities to grow and develop specifically for the black community. Hmm. And so these inner cities were a result of decisions that were made generations earlier. Yeah. And, and so we believe that the decisions we make today can help change and transform inner cities. So our vision is that one day in Omaha, Nebraska, and in cities uh, across the, the country, there would be no inner city,
2: mm.
1: no place defined by red lines, red dots, mm. crime, poverty, and violence. And so our strategy is built around that. And so as we're partnering with, with Christians, with churches that want to be a part of that solution, there's several things that that we invite people to do. Number one, yeah, is, is, is learn and understand what's going on in your city, where you're at. Number two is serve. You Mm -hmm. know, we, we try to make it easy for people to come down and be a part. So every second Saturday, uh, we've got a second Saturday serve coming up. We'll, we'll set up a distribution line where we'll serve hot meals, uh, groceries, frozen food, diapers. We'll try to meet some of the immediate needs of those in our community. And we'll have probably over 200 volunteers that will show up and help us do that. Wow. And and then we'll also be in several different neighborhoods where we'll be doing some simple cleanup projects, picking up trash. Yeah. We'll be gutting a house that we're going to be refurbishing. And so volunteers, when they come in, whether it's for two hours, we get some teams that will stay for an entire week. That time invested helps us exponentially impact our neighborhoods. Mm. Because just by living in the neighborhood, there's only so much we can do. So volunteers sure. coming in from the outside, giving your time, huge financial resources that are invested. You look at the numbers in communities where we serve the black community versus the white community. And there's a, there's a a financial disparity. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, one of the things I, I tell people is when it comes to raising your children, what does it take for your child to be successful, man? It takes a lot. It takes Mm -hmm. education and recreation and food and shelter. And that's what it takes to develop people in our community. Yeah. And so there's an investment that we have to make in order to see people grow and develop in those areas. And so again, we, we try to make it easy for people to get involved, serving short-term missions, teams, uh, financially giving, uh, but we just believe everyone has something they can give and contribute. And yeah. our, our passion is to see every single Christian get in the game. Yeah, the Local church has the capacity to have the greatest local impact in our city. And, and yeah. that's our, that's our passion.
0: Amen. Yeah, I love that. Everyone get in the game. I I, I hear you use the Don't sit on the bench. Game change. Oh,
1: bench players, man. Come on.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it. So, and I'd love to, yeah, dive a little deeper into that uh, with you. And because it's it's a, and I think especially, so I heard learn, I heard serve, I heard uh, giving opportunities, get in the game in some way, shape, or form. We can all do something. All of those are, yeah. But we can, but I think, so I'll speak for me. Um, I, I oftentimes like, I grew up in Omaha after Memphis yep. and Hardaway, right? Uh, I moved to Omaha when I was 10 and was in the suburbs and uh, have a great mom and dad. Despite what I said earlier, I don't blame
1: them. <laughs> yeah, they gave you a lot of other things.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and, and, but, but I was sheltered and I, I saw life uh, through my eyes. And, I, and then I went to a university and then seminary that was just surrounded by uh, 98% white people. Yeah. And, and even starting a church in Mount Dora, Florida, uh, it was a very white church. And and so it, I realized at about, and I had another white pastor friend um, challenge me uh, to learn and to get involved and educate. And uh, when I did, they had a program in Orlando called Orlando Together, and it was three days of about 14, 15 of us that are, kind of came from mixed Uh, race mixed backgrounds and it was a place that was really nice because we were able to say things and if we said something wrong it was like a safe place and so I probably did say I probably still say stuff wrong but I was able to see in education system in the court system and in the prison system um, some differences and some things that were unique and here's what I'll say I can't unsee what I saw those days yeah, that good. for me was the first time my eyes—I realized were muddy and not clear-eyed mm-hmm. on this issue, mm-hmm. and it good. angered me and it frustrated me. And I was—I want to do something about it, but then after that, I—I I feel like I'm white. Yeah, <laughs> how can I help? Like, I'm. What can I do? And so I'd love for you to speak to me. <laughs> Tell me what I can do, man. Um, and how can how can. I uh, and others that are maybe in my position use uh, our positions of influence uh, to to help in this issue of racial reconciliation.
1: Yeah, I, I love that. And I love your story. And I think the starting place is what you just said. How can I help? Yeah. And and I think having hearts that want to be a part of the solution is an incredible starting place. You know, I've said in 2020, when we saw the videos, George Floyd, Mm -hmm. I said, those videos gave us visuals to voices that have been crying out for generations. Mm. And for generations, these challenges have been going on, but for many, they didn't see the challenges. They hadn't experienced them. They didn't see what, you know, you saw during that experience. And, and typically what happens, somebody moves into a city and what are the questions you ask? Where's the best place to send my kids for school? What's the best neighborhood? Where's the safest place? Mm-hmm. All the questions we're asking and the answers actually pull us farther away mm-hmm. from those places of poverty and need and challenge and typically black versus white. Mm. And so that I think that's just a part of human nature. I I would argue this. I You know, Sundays is still one of the most segregated days of the week. Yeah. And I would argue that one of the reasons Sundays is one of the most segregated days of the week is because Sundays are the greatest picture of our individual preferences. Mm. Mm. We get to choose where we go to church in a way where you don't always get to choose who you work next to. You don't
0: always get to the bottom line. I chose this guy as my co-host. I, I do question. We all make choices. Yeah.
2: There's consequences.
0: Sometimes we do get choices and preference and we still choose wrong. But anyway. You can choose differently.
2: <laughs> I
0: love you, Chris. Thank you. I'm
1: empowering you right now. Thank you. But it's like Sundays, man, we live out of our preferences in mm. a way that 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 gives us a picture of what happens when we when we when we do that,
2: That's,
1: and I think the gospel is so focused on intentionality. Jesus, the Bible says, he went to Samaria. He didn't have to go to Samaria, yeah, right. but he intentionally went there to engage with the woman. And so I think so much of the gospel, what we believe when we follow Jesus, when we look at his scripture, says we have to go places not because it's convenient, but because it's consistent with God's heart. And so I think understanding, seeing that, understanding the way our cities are set up and they're set up to separate us. They're set up to divide us, understanding why I'm going to a certain church, my personal experience. And again, I I mentioned it earlier, having a white dad and a black mom, Mm. you know, when they were first married, my mom would tell my dad that he was racist. Mm. And, and I think it's such a good picture because My dad would think, how could I be racist? I'm married
2: to you. Right, right.
1: I love you. We're together in relationship. But ultimately, my dad had a worldview that he saw the world through his white rural paradigm. Mm -hmm. And so even though my mom would share things, my dad had never experienced them, so he couldn't understand them. It wasn't until my dad became a minority living in a predominantly black community that he started to understand what it felt like for her to be black. Wow. In a dominant white culture. Yeah. And so I think so much what you did, Zach, you, you put yourself in a position to see things that you otherwise wouldn't have seen. Yeah. And I think the more that that's one of our, our passions in, in getting people to come down and serve with us. We don't want it to just be transactional where they come and they give to this community. Right. We want it to be transformational where people have experiences, they see people different. They experience a culture that's different than theirs. They go back and say, oh my goodness, maybe I, what I thought, maybe what I saw on TV actually isn't the full narrative. Maybe yeah. it's not the full story.
0: Yeah. And, wow. and 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 so even for me, when I really look back at it, like and a, part of it, I probably need to repent and say like, ah, I should have listened earlier. But at the end of the day, what urged me to get in the game, as you said, was being challenged by another white pastor. Yeah. And so I think like that's what I – and so for whatever reason, if our ears are a little more attuned to hear someone who is like us at the beginning, like – Hear it and be yeah. challenged, and get in the game, and open your and and get into experiences that kind of open your eyes and and see. And, and the other thing I've seen in this is just it feels like, and you even mentioned with you know redlining was uh, something in the late forties, I think you said, and then term yeah. inner city sixties and seventies. Like it, it's it's we we can take steps and, and we should towards racial reconciliation, but it's also not like an overnight thing. Right, like like after uh, a history and and centuries and decades of. Uh, oppression or injustice like we can't just expect things yeah. overnight but that doesn't disqualify us from doing yes. what we can today so that hopefully a decade two decades right. and seven generations later yeah they're not mm-hmm. still talking about the same yeah. thing talking about
1: well right. that, that, that's what i love about jesus and all throughout scripture love jesus. Come on, you guys like jesus come on yeah, I'm a fan. <laughs> but it's his story with the woman at the well because there was a system of division that went on for generations and Jesus intentionally engages her. And then her whole community obviously receives, uh, him. But what we see is that systems can be changed one story at a time.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Andy Stanley says, do for one, what you wish you could do for everyone. Yep. And I think there's something too. you know, it can be overwhelming when we think of, of shifting an entire system of, uh, you know, where there's been generations of racism and oppression, right. but if we could find somebody and if we could help change their story, if we could shift their story, man, the ripple effect, we, yeah. we don't know what could happen. And so we have to take it down into bite-sized pieces. That's the power for us of one neighborhood at a time. Yeah. Man, taking on an entire community is too much. Yeah. But you know what? We can transform one neighborhood. And, and I think one of the things we've talked about, Zach, is you know I think during the racial tension, what the black community needed the most or what one of the things they need the most is white advocates, Mm. white people who are willing to stand up and use their voice because of what they've seen, because of what they've heard, speak to an audience that they have influence in people that will listen to them and help mobilize people to take action. Mm. And, and, and I think, you know, whether you look back with MLK, he was constantly trying to engage the white community, white church leaders to stand up and use their voice and take a stand. And that's what I appreciate about you, you know, over the last just couple of years. And since we've been connected, you're saying, man, how can I use my voice? Hmm. And I know you're talking about it more and writing about it more. And, and I just think that that's a huge part of the solution as we move forward. And with with that, I'll say this, a lot of people talk about diversity. Yeah. Yeah but in the business world they talk about DEI diversity equity and inclusion okay the heart of god isn't just for diversity where man we have a church where people all look differently but equity equity says that people are having the same opportunities to reach their god given ability yeah. equity says that man we're resourcing people from different communities who don't have the same opportunities we have. And then inclusion, inclusion says, we don't just have diversity at the table, but we're giving people of diverse backgrounds influence and we're allowing them to speak into what we're doing. So I think the church has to become more holistic, even in our understanding of trying to be the solution to racial reconciliation.
0: So good. Yeah. I think it's incredible, man. And, and, you know the, the the whole reason for this, like my again, the goal of this podcast to challenge people to be greater disciples of of Jesus. Why? Yep. Uh, I want to see, and you do, and Chris does, and we all do as his followers. Like we want to see the greatest and fullest expression of Jesus that we can see in this world. Yep, and until everybody's in. Come on until everybody has the chance. Like <laughs> yep. we will fall short of that. Now, one day we will see that in heaven and that's what we're moving towards. Yep. Let's get glimpses of that and push. And, and so I just thank you. Yeah. Cause my, even still, like I, I know I emailed you back a couple months ago. I wrote something on it and, and you said, Hey man, you, you should read the Martin Luther King's letters from a Birmingham jail. And yep. I, I, never read I read them. I read it. I was like, wow, we all need to read this. Yep. It's so good. Yep. That it's same
1: fun. message he shared back then is relevant yeah. to the church and to all of us today.
0: Yeah, I love it. So you also wrote a book in COVID times called uh, Church in Crisis. And so uh, talk, talk to me about that because we talked a little bit of, you know, what what we maybe can do moving forward or how we can use our voice platform and how everybody's needed. But what, what's the couple of the things you found uh, or wrote about in Church in Crisis that that our audience needs to hear?
1: Yeah. I mean, first of all, I'm a little jealous. I wish I would have wrote the red letter challenge. <laughs> Cause that like sounds fun and exciting. Church in Crisis, I- I'm not gonna lie. You know, even in putting that together, I was like, God, why do I have to be the guy to write Church in Crisis? <laughs> Come
2: you're on, saying, you're saying if somebody goes to Barnes and Noble and sees the Red Letter Challenge and Church in Crisis, they might pick Red. No, I'm
1: hey, no, Hunter, <laughs> Mar- <Noble>. I'm open, <laughs> like, you can have my book there if you want, but like, you don't have it there, so anyway. Hey, the red letter challenge, I will say church in crisis is all blue, blue and black. <laughs> but I think the heart is so similar uh, in terms of what you're challenging people to do. For me, church in crisis, you know, in crisis, crisis brings clarity to realities because everything gets brought to the surface. Oh, yeah. You see things, you experience it. When people are in crisis... You realize the where the foundation of your faith actually is. You you don't feel that in the good times. It's mm-hmm. in times of crisis, and so church in crisis really has two meanings. Number one, I think COVID highlighted the crisis of the church.
2: Amen. Yeah. Amen. It,
1: it highlighted you know in in during a pandemic, mm-hmm. most of the doors of our churches were closed. Yeah the only doors that were allowed to be open were places that were essential to our cities and society. Isn't that sad? Yes. That sad. When, 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 when the people need us the most, <laughs> our doors are closed. And, and don't get me wrong online church, like some of those things, yeah, it, 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 we could still disseminate content, sure but we couldn't be the church. Yes, And so I think COVID highlighted that, you know, I heard the word compassion fatigue mm. more times than ever. And as an athlete, what, what I, maybe a revelation I had is we're conditioned for the results that we get. Hmm. And I've never heard a pastor talk about tithing fatigue, uh, you know, <laughs> attendance fatigue, right? but compassion fatigue, you know, I don't think we've conditioned our congregations to allow compassion to be an ex, uh, a consistent expression of who we are. Yeah. And so we're getting tired of the stories. And and so I think COVID just highlighted some of the challenges that our churches face. But I think also we saw some other stories and it also highlighted, I think, God's heart that the church would be in the center of the, the crisis. Yeah, yeah. That more than ever, our world is looking for people to be a part of bringing solutions practically, but also from a hope perspective. And churches that were prepared were able to step into the moment. Their doors weren't closed. Closed. They were, you know, providing food. They were providing uh, support for uh, uh, workers. They were providing support for the city. And 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 we just believe that the church should be known as the people who provide the greatest impact to our communities. And so I would say the book, which came about in just a couple of weeks was I'm
0: well i'm jealous of that no go ahead kidding that's oh amazing. man
1: it just it was one of those things i was i was expressing frustration to my wife mm. and she said you should write about
0: it <laughs> <laughs> In other words, i don't hear yeah. it josh we just write it down
1: that, that was probably her her thought <laughs> but i would say it it's a combination of 30 years of my ministry yeah. started by my dad with the heart to see the church get out of the seats into the streets yeah come on and then things that were just it was things we already saw, but the pandemic highlighted it. Yeah. E- even even the racial tension. Sure. For me, the, 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 the racial tension was just another example of how the church should be at the forefront of leading when it comes to the racial challenges our world was seeing. But our church was stepping back, asking more questions than taking action. Mm. And, and I think one of the things I see in the, the, you know, when Jesus was asked by the religious leader, what's the greatest commandment? it says he asked a question to justify his actions mm. and questions are good when they lead to actions. Yeah. But when we're just sitting around asking question after question, after question and taking no action, mm. Mm. Uh, our world doesn't experience the good news that we know and we believe in scripture. And so I just think there, the you know, we judge people based on uh, their actions, but we judge ourselves based on our intentions Yep. I think sometimes that's what happens within the church, and the world is saying, man, where's your actions?
0: I love that Mm. intent. Yeah. Come on, baby.
2: Three hundred points, right there. I, thought I was gonna
1: get the red button. I think I cut you off there,
2: Ooh. man. No, I was going for the blue, but you're still preaching, and I was like, <laughs> "I was like, give it to him, John. Give it to him." I love it,
0: dude. You're a you're an inspiration and a blessing. Yeah. So we ask all our guests, and then uh, the final question, and then Chris has got. Uh, I was nervous turning oh, it over to him. A on. game for you. Let me.
2: Uh, uh I oh, want on. to do something in honor of your father. I'll be right back.
0: Oh wow, okay. <laughs> guys, he's. I always nervous when he leaves set. Um, anyway, <laughs> as he's doing that, Josh, we ask all our guests the same question kind of on the way out is it, from your vantage point and what you do, all the places you've been, your story, like if you could challenge our audience with one thing this week, practically that they can do to be a greater disciple, what what challenge are you going to lay down to the listeners and watchers of the Red Letter Disciple?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think we would break down the gospel into two parts. God changes us and then he uses us to change the world. And I think, you know, sometimes as Christians, we're really good at allowing God to change us. We're getting into his word through prayer, but sometimes we're not as intentional about engaging in in his plan practically to be a part of changing the world. And so, yeah, I, I would say find somewhere this week, Come on. a local cause, an organization Find a part in your city of great need, a place that's been redlined, that's maybe covered in red dots. Go there. And whether it's just being present, maybe you'll eat there, you'll grocery shop there, you'll pray there. Be present. Maybe it's connecting to that cause and serving. Yeah. Whatever it is, God's given you influence. Our job is to use that influence to impact the world around us in practical ways. And so I would say what Chris said earlier, get in the game, get off the bench and use what God's given you. Small steps can make a big difference. And so it doesn't matter what it is, but use what God's given you.
0: Amen. Small steps. Martin Luther King, right? You don't have to see the whole staircase. That's it. One One step at a time. All right, Cruz. So that's your challenge this week. Get in the game. Get in the game specifically with those who are in your area, inner city, in need, red red line, red dot area. Uh, I love even the three things you just said. Eat, grocery shop, or pray there. If that's all you do, just do one of those. That, that's so cool. So if you do that this week, here's what I want you to do. I want you to a hashtag red letter disciple Come on. on your socials or in the YouTube if you're watching the video. And I believe Chris Johnson is ready to return now. Um for the last.
1: <laughs>
0: Is that an honor of that's an honor of Josh's father, that's Ron? That's
2: right. Uh, but- I feel like it's
1: a slap in the face to me. No, Josh.
2: <laughs> your father started something fantastic in this ministry. And yes, he was inspired by God, but he was also an <laughs> All right.
1: We have. And I'm, I'm hearing a bunch of dozlers in rural Iowa like just giving a big old round of applause right now. That's right. Hey, I just got to say one more thing because this just hit me as you were talking there, Zach.
0: Yeah. Mm.
1: Red letters cause us to cross red lines. Come on. Whoa! And, and I believe that as we get into those red letters, yeah, it compels us to eliminate red lines, eliminate red dots and ultimately lead to a revolution.
2: Good night, folks.
0: <laughs> that's our, okay, producer Pat, that's our promo line right there for this episode. Dude, on, that, that was the was, greatest. That was sweet. That that was was sweet. Awesome. I love it, dude. All <sighs> right, Chris, what you got for Josh?
2: Josh, you said earlier you are a father, devoted father. You were married at a young age. Uh, you still look like you get ID'd if you would happen to <laughs> buy something of an older You look like a young guy is what I'm trying. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Zach and I have lost that, uh, youthful look, but you've still got it. Don't include me there. Uh, <laughs> what are you said? You're 36, 36, 36. You've been married uh, about 16 years now.
1: Uh, almost 15, 15
2: yep. years. You have four kids. Yep. And now right around the age of 36 is when my children started to tell me that dad, you're acting like a middle aged man. Yeah. Have you got that yet? Yes. Okay. So I just wanted to quiz you. You are so much cooler than us. You're a former <laughs> college.
0: I telling
1: gospel. my kids that too.
2: No, I know. <laughs> and I always say to my kids, I'm not trying to be cool. I'm just trying to – I'm trying to wade above dorkdom at this point. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm just trying to keep – I'm
1: feeling head- the pain, man. I'm feeling the pain.
2: Yeah, and I'm like <sighs> – the wave's coming. I'm trying to not. <laughs> Anywho, I want to test you today, Josh, Uh-oh. to see if you have fallen into middle-aged dad dumb. Uh-oh. Okay.
0: That's
1: good. I'm a little nervous. Well, well, I'll- we're going to find
0: out. Listen, and if you haven't yet, it's coming. So just, it's yeah. also kind of a it's warning. Like,
1: it's like going to the doctors the other day, and I've been telling people I'm six foot for the last however many years. Mm-hmm. And she told me I was 5'11". Come on. like, that reality check, I mean, I'm just. sorry,
0: man. I'm still uh-huh. going with
1: six foot. So regardless of what you say, I'm still going with six You need to cry right
0: now. D- have, you, have you grieved that?
1: <laughs> no, nah, bro, I'm still processing
0: that. Oh, man. Dude, like, did, she you was
1: wrong.
2: Her, did you she show was wrong. her the game program that says you're six foot uh, zero when you were playing for Clayton? Hey, I said I
1: was six one when I was at Creighton. Oh, man,
2: you lost two inches, dude. That's tough. All right, let's start with question one. Uh, Cue the game show music. Da-da-da-da-da. All right, here we go. Josh, I have to ask you, when you're having a snack, like uh, what's one of your favorite snacks, Josh? Do you like, let me ask you this.
1: Oreo cookies.
2: Do you like M&M's?
1: Yeah, peanut M&M's better.
2: Fantastic. That is the correct answer. Peanut (laughs) M&M's is better. But that's not, no, 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 don't celebrate yet. That was not the question. (laughs) Josh, when you have peanut M&M's, do you shake them in your hand before popping them into your mouth?
1: I would say probably about 75% of the time.
2: Okay. 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 All right. (laughs) What does that mean? He is, hold on. I'm not going to reveal. Yeah. I'm not going to (laughs) reveal. yet. Uh, Let's say that your children go out um, and they go to a trunk or treat or one of those events. Right. And they come back with a big bag of candy around the Halloween season. Josh, do you ever get into their pumpkin or their bag once they have fallen asleep, remove the candy, leave the wrapper, and then say, I'm sorry, that's a dad candy tax.
1: I've, I've done the act, but I've never said that phrase.
2: <laughs> You've never said dad candy tax. It's critical, Josh. I need to know this part.
1: I've done the act. Okay. I've never said the
2: phrase. Okay.
1: All right. Okay. Okay. Okay.
2: okay. Um uh josh are you a big text messenger text messenger
1: uh you send a lot of texts yeah 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 okay
2: josh uh what percentage of the time do you send a text in all caps
1: oh probably five percent
2: okay
0: <laughs> I still uh, don't know if these are good or bad. Right. You, I uh, mean
2: <laughs> okay, Josh, uh, just a couple more, and so I can really understand you. Okay, <laughs> okay, Josh, do you like coffee? Love it. Okay, Josh, do you have a preferred mug that if you're at home, you want to use this mug? But I'm not saying you won't drink coffee, but you have a go-to mug.
1: I probably have two. I- I've got two.
2: Okay, can you explain But, but,
1: but I will say this. Mm. They're two of the same style.
2: Gosh, there we go. Different
1: colors.
0: All
2: right, just uh, I think I have like one or two. Uh, um, okay, Josh, this is one of the most critical. <laughs> Josh, you go to an event. Let's say, what's that center you have here in Nebraska? The Chai Health. Let's say you go to the Chai Health Center. You're okay. watching some kind of event. Have you ever, since you've had children, tried to negotiate with the person who's selling parking to try to negotiate free parking? 100 percent That's correct. Right. <laughs> that's the correct answer. And um, okay, last this one's not even here. This is Uh-oh, something my kids, wow. this is the ones oh. that my, my kids pointed out to me the other day. I go to a grocery store. I'm the lady is checking out my groceries right (laughs) one item goes through there's no (laughs) and I said have you ever done this Josh. Well, I guess that one's free.
1: <laughs> Not yet, but I'm stealing that. I'm okay, using okay. it.
2: <laughs> okay. Let me just do some simple calculations here. I'm using that one. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm 48. <laughs> I love that one. My kids always do this. Um, anyway, Josh, you are 63% oh. middle-aged man. 63%.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. So you're good. Good job. Let's hear it for you. It's only going to get worse, and I actually think the losing an inch is already another (laughs) indicator that he's there.
1: There's so many more indicators that you didn't bring up (laughs) that uh, would definitely push me over the edge. Like, uh, What is one? Giving my kids quotes. Did you guys (laughs) know that John Maxwell says? Did you know that uh, they're like, Dad, come on. on, Dad Dad jokes per day. I mean, my kids already say, Dad joke, dad joke.
0: <laughs> nice, yeah. nice. Josh, man, you're uh, you're awesome. Uh, where can people find you and all the things you're doing online these days?
1: Yeah, probably best place is just dotzler.com It's got everything we're a part of. And How so you do you spell
2: that? It Give it to him. How do you spell your last name, buddy?
1: Josh
0: Dotsler. D O T Z L E R. Awesome. Com. Awesome, man. Hey, thanks, thanks so much us. for being a part of this with us. It's uh it's been an honor
1: so fun appreciate you guys thanks for making thanks it
0: fun so much buddy take care bud josh is such an incredible man of god maybe also like the one-liners of the season too like his words still have me thinking it has me thinking like am i doing enough am i playing my part when it comes to racial reconciliation. How how can I enter into that more and and use or steward whatever influence or platform God's given to me. So I'm really grateful for him and I'm going to continue on this path and investigate those questions in my own life and hope you do that in your life too. Hey, if you want to learn more about Josh or Abide Ministries or anything he talked about today or access the show notes, we've got all the links there. You can go to redletterpodcast.com and remember at the beginning, I, I, I talked about it for the first time today, a free webinar that I'm going to be hosting, Phil Ling of The Giving Church and and, and He's going to be bringing decades of experience and directly talking about how to fund your vision at your church or ministry. So You can find out more about our partner at thegivingchurch.com slash red, and, and you won't want to miss that webinar. Speaking of things you don't want to miss, it's episode 10 next week. We've got the second Canadian of the season, Rich Birch. He's on the podcast. Rich is a really great friend and truly one of the most helpful people I've ever met. Like He has a heart of gold. And Rich is one of the early multi-site church pioneers. He is so passionate about helping churches reach more people and helping churches grow. So we're gonna have Rich on the show, and and we asked Rich, like, what's the number one factor for church growth? And I, I think his answer is brilliant. And newsflash, it's for everyone, not just for church leaders. So I'll also ask him, since he's from Canada, I don't know if you've noticed this, why poutine, the food, poutine hasn't caught on in America. And, and as I asked this, I was shocked. Rich actually opens up to where he believes is the best poutine in all of Canada. I think it's going to surprise you. Anyway, all of that important stuff and more. Episode 10 is dropping next Tuesday. So subscribe or follow on your favorite streaming platform. And we will see you or you'll see us or maybe hear from us next Tuesday. A
2: Huda Media Production.